Let us all turn to the Word of God together. We have two portions today, both in the New Testament. This first one is Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3. Some verses there, and then we'll give you a moment after the reading in Timothy to turn to Second Peter. That will be chapter 1. So we're bringing both passages together, and you'll see that they have a common theme. wonder what that could be. It's saying here as we turn to the reading, it's a privilege. It's a joy to read the Word of God. And our first portion is 2 Timothy 3 and the verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, this is an important but for the Christian. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That doesn't mean sinless, but it means uh, rather that the person concerned has an entire commitment. He's wholly committed to the Lord. And we're looking for that kind of love to be fashioned in our hearts, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And now the second portion, to remind you again, Second Peter Chapter 1. And this portion also is at the end of the chapter. Second Peter chapter 1. And we'll begin at verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a 
more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord for these scriptures that we have been looking at even today. May the Lord write them on our hearts and Bless the preaching of the word besides. Amen. Our text this morning is found in 2 Timothy, verse 3, or chapter 3, and verse 16. It's a well-known verse, and it says at the beginning of the verse, all scripture is given by inspiration. Of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We're going to pray together just now. And let's make those uh, words we were singing, the words of our, th- our prayers just now. Master, speak for who thou knowest all the yearning of my heart. God knows our hearts and He knows our needs and our desires. Let's bring those burdens before him and just pray that the Lord will really speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee again for the opportunity of opening the word of God, of calling upon the name of the God of heaven. Lord, thy word says, be still and know that I am God. And Lord, in the stillness of these moments, we invite thee, O Father, to come and By thy Spirit, speak into our hearts and stir us up, Lord, to really appreciate the majesty and the glory of thy word. Write it upon our hearts. Hear and answer prayer. Grant the anointing of thy Spirit. Glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As a young Christian, I was greatly blessed reading some of the books of Leonard Ravenhill. He's a man greatly used of God and also a man that's very quotable. And Leonard Ravenhill said concerning the Bible that this book, the Bible, is either absolute or it's obsolete. The Bible is either absolute or obsolete. And what he meant by that was either we accept the Word of God in its entirety, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's absolute, it's God's Word in its entirety to us, and it's authoritative, it's absolute. And if we cannot accept that, then it must become obsolete. We either accept it all, or we do not accept it at all. J.C. Ryle, the great bishop of Liverpool, speaking of this word, inspiration, that we have here in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said, inspiration is the very keel and foundation 
of Christianity. Inspiration is the very key and foundation of Christianity. The Bible, as we noted last Lord's Day, is God's Word for our world. And we're thinking today about this great subject of inspiration. You know, I believe today with all of my heart that if God spoke audibly right now from heaven and we heard the speaking voice of God from glory, he would not say anything different to or anything contrary to or anything in addition to what is already said in his word, the Bible. You remember in Luke chapter 16, the Son of God told the story, the historical account, I believe, of the rich man and Lazarus. And Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abram's bosom. The rich man died and was buried, and in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And he began to reason with Abraham and said, Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, and then send him to my, my, my five brethren, send them to my father's house, that they are warned and do not come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he pointed them to the Scriptures. And he says, If they're not willing to listen to the Word of God, the written Word of God, neither will they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. We are living in a generation where many professing Christians are looking for signs and wonders and miraculous things. But God does not speak so much in signs and wonders as He does through His Word, the Bible. The Word of God, the Bible, claims to be inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Last Lord's Day, if you were with us, we thought about the subject of revelation, God revealing Himself, God communicating Himself, God making Himself known. And today we're moving on and we're thinking about inspiration, God's written record of His revelation to this world of ours. Now, the consequences of accepting or rejecting the reality that this book is God's inspired Word, the consequences of accepting that or the consequences of rejecting that are enormous either way. If the Bible is not God's Word, then multitudes are deluded. But if the Bible is God's Word, as it claims to be, then millions are damned. And so it's a vital and an important subject. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 19 says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Verse 20 says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the, the Holy Ghost. And these two verses, these two texts are twins. Oftentimes, Mr. Douglas, when he opens the Bible to read it for us on the Lord's Day morning or evening, he often refers to the Scriptures as this 
God-breathed book, or this God-breathed word. And that's simply our title for this message this morning, as we think about what Paul is saying in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration. Want to look for a little while at this God-breathed book. That's what the word inspiration means, God-breathed. As we think about this vital subject this morning, I want you to consider, first of all, the essence of inspiration. What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Now, sometimes the word inspiration is used very lightly, very flippantly. An artist might take his brush and his paints and his palettes and talk about having a, a moment of inspiration as to what he wants to put on canvas. An author or a songwriter or a poet sometimes talks about inspiration, that they, they felt inspired. And what they mean by that is their, their heart was stirred to write down certain words, and they often talk about artistic inspiration. But whenever the Word of God speaks about being inspired, it is speaking about something much deeper, something much greater, and something more glorious, and something much more divine than human inspiration, something much greater. The essence of inspiration, what does it mean? Well, the meaning of inspiration simply means God breathed. The Greek word that is translated here, inspiration, is a compound word. That is, it's two words brought together, theo, neustos, God breathed. We have heard of pneumonia, Somebody gets pneumonia, they've got difficulty breathing. There's a problem in their lungs and the air isn't passing through their lungs and pneumonia is a problem with breathing. Some that are maybe interested in engineering might be familiar with pneumatics. The use of air or gas to get things moving. And it comes from this word here, neustos, breathed, God breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It literally means that God breathed or spoke the Scriptures out. Do you remember whenever the Lord was in the wilderness and He was being tempted of the devil? And the devil said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And that was a very real temptation. The Son of God was hungry. He was God manifest in the flesh. His hunger was real. And the devil tempted him to make those stones into bread. Remember what the Lord said? It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he was speaking about the Scriptures. And the Son of God himself made it very clear that all Scripture is inspired, all Scripture is God-breathed, all Scripture proceeds out of the very mouth of God Himself. Verbal inspiration. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, you'll notice in 2 Peter chapter, tw uh, chapter 1 and verse number 20 that Peter says, knowing this first, 
Peter's wanting to nail this down. Before he explains how God has given the word, he says, I want you to understand this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, no utterance or prophetic utterance in the Bible, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And what he means by that is that we did not receive the Word of God by man's intellect or man's device. It isn't that the Word of God came to us by intelligent men that sat down together and had a a kind of a think tank and thought, well, what should we write in this book? If we're going to give it to people and we're going to present the God we believe in to people, what should we write? No prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. It's not given by man's intellect or man's device. Verse 21 says, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So the Word of God does not come to us by man's intellect, man's device. It does not come to us either by man's will or man's decision. You study the Word of God and the the men that God used to write down the Word of God, they didn't decide in and of themselves, I'm going to write down some scriptural or spiritual thoughts or truths. The Word of God came from outside of themselves. Rather, it says at the end of verse 21, holy men of God. That means men that the Lord had chosen and sanctified and set apart for a sacred use or purpose. Men that God selected and set apart. Holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that indicates that these men were guided by a force, by a personality, a person outside of themselves. It wasn't by private interpretation. It wasn't by the will of man. They were guided and directed by an influence outside of themselves. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. The idea there moved as they were lifted and they were carried along. If you ever play chess, I'm not sure if you do, I don't, but I know people who do. And if somebody's playing a game of chess, they might lift a piece and they will move it to another part of the chessboard. And that's the thought here with this word moved. That there was a hand that moved them to the very place to write down the very thing that God would have them to write. Holy men of God speak as they were moved by the the Holy Spirit. It's a little bit like the idea of somebody in a sailing boat and they're out there at sea or out there in one of the great lakes and they put up their seals and the wind catches the seal and the wind carries or drives or guides that little, that little vessel along. And that's what it's saying here. This is how God gave us the Bible. The Word proceeded from the heart and the mouth of God. And men that God had sanctified and saved and set apart were moved and carried along directly by the wind of the Spirit, to write down the very word that God would have them to write. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. The Holy Spirit is often likened unto wind. And the wind of God's Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, 
carried these men, moved them, guided them, directed them to record the very Word of God for us today. So therefore, we know that the Spirit of God will never lead or guide somebody contrary to what the Word of God says. We are living in a generation where people talk so flippantly and they'll say, God said to me and God led me and God spoke to me and God guided me and the Holy Spirit impressed something upon my heart. And sometimes they're speaking about something that violates God's Word and you have a very difficult job convincing that person otherwise. And they'll insist, but God told me and God led me. And the Spirit of God put it upon my heart. Well, dear friends, let it be settled in our minds that the Holy Spirit will never guide contrary to the Scriptures. Rather, the Holy Spirit always guides us into the Scriptures and always brings us to the feet of the Savior. When He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He will guide you into all truth. It's important to note as well that as the Holy Spirit used these men, He did not negate their personalities. God is interested in individuals. And each biblical writer had their individual styles. Now the pen men, whether it was David or Paul or Peter or James or John or Moses, the pen men themselves were not infallible. Left to themselves, they're all subject like the rest of us to make mistakes. But the author, the Holy Spirit, the one who gave the word, is infallible. And he guided these men to write down the word of God, the meaning of inspiration. God breathed. Men that were guided and directed to write down the very word of Almighty God. Then we have to think also about the miracle of inspiration. Friends, God is a supernatural God. Therefore, God's Word is a supernatural book. Let us never forget that. The author of the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.12 that the Word of God is quick, living, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. This book is a living book. This book is a life-giving book. This book is a light-giving book, the miracle of inspiration. Inspiration is a miracle. Now, we can never fully understand or fully explain a miracle. A miracle goes beyond what man is capable of doing. Nobody can fully explain the intricacies of the virgin birth. No human being can fully explain or even understand the, the details of the resurrection of the Lord from the grave. Nobody can fully explain the Lord turning the water into wine or the Lord parting the Red Sea or the Lord, Lord raising Lazarus from the dead or giving sight to the blind. We cannot fully explain or understand the, the details that fall into those miracles but we still accept that they really happened. And we mightn't understand all of the miracle of inspiration. It goes beyond our intellect and our understanding. But dear friends, this book is a miraculous book. And we don't reject it or cast it to one side because it goes beyond our intellect. There are many things in this world that we don't understand, but we accept them. 
We mightn't be able to explain the laws of gravity, but we respect them. We mightn't be able to understand the, 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 the laws concerning electricity, but we accept them. We mightn't be able to understand the laws of thermodynamics and relativity, but we accept them. One of our boys was asking me recently about how, an at, how small an atom is. And I had to say to him, well, I have to confess, I don't know. He says, is it smaller than a grain of sand? I says, yes, it's smaller than a grain of sand. And we Googled it, and I don't know how many. There's billions of atoms in one grain of sand. And then he said to him, you know, scientists have found a way to split the atom. And that's how an atomic bomb works. There's so much power in one little atom that if you were to split it, it causes a chain reaction that results in so much destruction. And he says, Daddy, how does that work? And I said to him, I haven't a clue, but I know that it works. And if somebody splits the atom, you don't want to be within hundreds of miles of it because there's so much power in one little atom. And friends, today, if we could just grasp the power that there is in this book, we mightn't understand it all. We mightn't be able to explain it all. But we accept the Word of God today by faith, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And there's a miraculous, supernatural element to this book, the essence of inspiration. Notice as well that Paul speaks here about the extent of inspiration. He says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not just some of it, not just parts of it, not just the bits that encourage us, but all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, there's a little bit of debate as to how many pen men God employed to write down His Word. Some people reckon there's maybe 35 or 36. Some people believe it's closer to 40. There's some of the Psalms. We're not exactly sure who wrote them. There are some books in the Bible, and we cannot say authoritatively who wrote them. But there are over 30, over 35, close to 40 perhaps, different men that God used, God set apart and inspired and carried along to write the Scriptures. And many of them came from different generations. Many of them lived in different times in history. Many of them had never met each other. All of them had different personalities. Many of them lived in different places at different times. They were different men. And yet the Spirit of God enabled them to write down the Word of God so that it fits together as one complete unit without contradiction. And surely that is a, a proof as to inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, if you were to lift the revised version of Scripture, and you were to read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, it would begin with these words, every Scripture inspired of God is profitable. But our old authorized version says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. You see, the revised version says every Scripture that is inspired of God is profitable. But what it does is it puts a question mark over, well, how much of it's inspired of God then? 
The scriptures that are inspired are profitable, but there's a, a sort of a, an undercurrent there that maybe not all scripture is inspired, but the scripture that's inspired is profitable. But the original Greek says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We believe today in verbal inspiration. Do you remember the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, 18? He says every jot and every tittle Every jot and tittle, not one jot, not one tittle of this word shall pass away till all be fulfilled. That's like us dotting our I's and crossing our T's and putting the little stroke at the bottom of our Q's, the, the smallest details in our writings, the dotting the I, the stroking the T. And the Lord says concerning the Scriptures, every jot, every tittle has to be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Every, every book, every verse, every line, every word, every letter, every jot, every tittle, verbal inspiration. That's why it's a very dangerous thing to, to, to tamper with the Scriptures, to change words here and there to suit ourselves or satisfy or curiosity or maybe even to try to make it easier for others to understand because the Lord says, listen, every jot and every tittle, all Scripture, from Genesis to, to Revelation. You know, some of the modern translators, whenever they get together and they, they, they translate and they give us a new version of the Scriptures, they will have the idea that it's the overall message that counts. And it's the overall thinking that counts, not so much the individual words, but the, 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 the general message that the writers were trying to convey. And that becomes a very dangerous thing because what you have is people set themselves above the Scriptures. And rather than just translating God's Word into your English language word for word, jot and tittle and line for line, they'll come at the Scriptures and say, now, what do we think the Apostle Paul meant? And is there another way that we could put this to make it into layman's terms? And oftentimes they will come with their own theological concept and construct and change what the original words actually say. And it's a very dangerous thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's not for us to pick and to choose. We must accept this word as absolute or obsolete. Now, you'll notice that Peter says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse number uh, 16, he speaks about the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made no one unto the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now that brings us back to Matthew chapter 17. Peter, James, and John are on the mountaintop with the Lord. The Lord's glory yields to his, his humanity, yields to his glory, and the Lord is transfigured before them. And they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
And then they say in verse 17, He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Peter says, And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with Him in the mount. Now think about what Peter's saying. He says, I'm speaking from experience. We were eyewitnesses of Christ's majesty. We also heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We saw his glory. We heard an audible voice. And yet in verse number 19, he's speaking about the written word of God says, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. And what he is doing is he is elevating this book above his experience. He's elevating this book above what his eyes have seen and what his ears have heard and even what his memory is. Peter is saying that this book is more sure and more certain than any vision or any experience or any audible voice that any one of us could possibly hear from heaven, because this word is written, it's recorded, it's permanent, it's not subject to my recollection, or my memory, or my ability to communicate. This word is authoritative, it's written down. And we need to take note of that because many are being carried away now whenever some religious leader stands up and says, I have received a word or I have received a vision or I have got a word of wisdom or I've got a prophetic voice or God has told me and multitudes follow after such individuals. And even if they were speaking the truth, which I doubt they are, Peter says, listen, we've got a more sure word of prophecy. And he's humbling himself here, saying, I saw the Lord glorified in the mount. I heard the voice of God the Father speaking. I saw Moses and I saw Elijah. We saw a great cloud come down and overshadow him. But in spite of all that, this book is more sure. This book is more certain. This book is more authoritative than some experience that I can relate to you. Get back to the scriptures, he's saying. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The prophet Isaiah said, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to the prophecy of this book or this word, it's because there's no light in them. The written, inspired Word of God is our foundation for faith and for practice. The essence of inspiration, its meaning and its miracle. The extent of inspiration, all Scripture is given by inspiration. But then there's some errors that stand in conflict with inspiration. You know, Satan today is described in the Bible as an angel of light sometimes. He has transformed himself into an angel of light. And if that's the case, the Word of God says his ministers, his servants, his angels will oftentimes masquerade as ministers of righteousness. He's the master of confusion. He's the master of error. He's the master of the counterfeit. And whenever it comes to accepting the reality and the truth of inspiration, the devil will always oppose that. He'll do that by different means and different ways and different schools of thought. 
liberalism says the Bible contains the Word of God. It's maybe not all the Word of God, but the liberals will say the Word of God, yes, is in the Bible. And that sounds good to many people. They hold up this book and they'll say this book contains the Word of God. And many unsuspecting people accept that as being orthodox. They'll say, well, our minister, he believes in, in inspiration. But does he believe that all Scripture is inspired or just some of it? The liberals will say, this book contains the Word of God. The Word of God is in there somewhere. But where does that leave us? It's either absolute or obsolete. If you weren't feeling so well and you said, I, I've got a terribly sore head or I, I'm not feeling so well and I came with a big bucket full of pills and tablets and said, some of those tablets in that bucket will help you. Help yourself. And I walk away and you say, but which ones? Where does it leave you? Where does it leave the church if men come and they say, this book contains the Word of God? The liberals. Becomes very subjective. If you don't like some of it, you can cast it to one side and say, well, I don't accept that part, it's the Word of God, but I'll accept this other part. And then there's a, a school of thought known as neo-orthodoxy or neo-evangelicalism, new evangelicalism that is very, very prevalent in our society. They mightn't call themselves that, but it has its foundation in, in the thinking of some uh, theologians from mainland Europe, men like Karl Barth. And he, he had this idea that the Bible can become God's Word to you whenever you find yourself in certain circumstances and you come to the, the Bible and you read it and you feel God has spoken to me through a certain portion of Scripture and that resonates within your heart. And that helps you and that encourages you on to God. The Bible then, therefore, somehow becomes the Word of God, given our, our circumstances and our feelings and our thoughts and our emotions. And it's purely subjective. And yet, is it not true to say that that type of thinking is very prevalent in our society today, in the evangelical church, this new evangelicalism? You know, you, you go to a lot of people and you say, well... You know, the, the Word of God's authoritative. And God has laid down, for example, in the, in the Ten Commandments, a permanent rule for faith and practice for this world and also for His people. And we, we, we see God revealed there. And many will say, well, that's for the Jew. That's not for us. Or some of the Ten Commandments are for us, but not all of them. And it becomes subjective. And the, the same people who will reject that will accept maybe the Psalms and they'll, they'll share a lovely verse from the Psalms. Isn't this a lovely verse of encouragement? But hold on, you, you said that the Old Testament and the law of God was for the Jews and then you take this nice encouraging verse of Scripture and you claim it for your own. And, and so often that's what, what, what we're all about in the evangelical church. We'll, we'll cherry pick. We'll take a verse that helps us and encourages us and promises that God will supply our need and give grace and give help and empower us and enable us to live victorious lives and one day get us to heaven. But whenever the Word of God says something that we don't like, so often we discount it. 
And it's just this idea of new evangelicalism, this subjective coming to the Word of God and picking and choosing what suits us best and what we like. But again, the Word of God is either absolute or obsolete. And then, of course, there's atheism. Individuals who reject the Word of God entirely. And that's gaining traction in this day and generation as well. Men like Richard Dawkins, and they've written their, their books that, that scoff and scorn the Word of God and the Christian faith and the Jewish people and all religion as well. But you know, I often say, what do they give us, us in its place? You get somebody come along and saying, close that book. Have nothing to do with it. It's just a book of fables. Well, what are you going to give me in its place? You're going to give me something better? And what do the evolutionists and the atheists give us in place of the Word of God? And whenever they take the Word of God out of the schools and out of the universities and out of parliaments and out of councils as they have done in different parts of the world, what do they give in its place? They take away light and they take away hope. And they, they, they take away a book that, that gives us promises and principles and precepts and assurances. And in this place, they give us anarchy and they give us darkness. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. We have thought about the essence of inspiration and the extent of inspiration and some of the errors and conflict with inspiration. One thought in closing, what about our excitement concerning inspiration? You know, the psalmist David said in Psalm 19 that God's Word was more to be desired than fine gold. The Word of God was of more value to him than pure gold. Sweeter to his taste than honey out of the comb. Do we get excited, dear friends, whenever we open this precious book? I remember as a young teenager going along to a youth meeting on a Saturday night oftentimes. There was a young man. His name was Michael. And I have to be honest, sometimes we, we laughed at him a bit. He was so passionate about the Word of God and his Christian faith. He used to think there's no way somebody could be that enthusiastic about the Bible. But sometimes he would stand up and he wasn't exaggerating. He'd say, you know, sometimes whenever I, I come home from work and I, I get alone with God and I, I, I have this book in my hand, he says, there's an excitement opening this book like a, like a little boy on Christmas morning opening the Christmas box. What is God going to say to me? And he was so enthusiastic and so excited opening the living Word of God. And as I open this book, I know that God is going to speak to me. Do we have that sort of excitement and that sort of enthusiasm? Or do we look at our Bibles and think, I have to read this? Don't really want to, you know. I'll read just a little bit to please God and salve my conscience. I'll come to church on a Sunday on occasion. I'll listen to you a little bit of it and I'll go home again. Or do we get excited that this is God's word for our world? That this is God's living word, God's breathed word, God's book for this day and generation and every other day and generation. And as we open the word of God, the spirit of God can take the living truth 
and open our hearts and apply it to our lives. And we can have an audience with our God. And we can speak to Him by way of prayer. And we can have God speak to our hearts through His precious Word. What is God going to say to me today? That should be our thought whenever we open the Bible in our homes. Lord, open my heart. Open my eyes and show me wonderful things out of thy law. And whenever we come to God's house and we open our Bibles together, we should keep our Bibles open. We should have a notebook perhaps and take down a few references and, and be excited once again about reading the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction and in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, fully surrendered, absolutely committed, growing in grace, pressing on to maturity. This precious book, a more sure word of prophecy. Truth unchanged. Truth unchanging. Dear friends, read your Bible. Love your Bible. Pray over your Bible. Enjoy your Bible. Apply your Bible to your life. May God write it even now upon our hearts. God's Word for our world. This God-breathed 